It's a good show. Exciting news. We are coming back to Baltimore, sort of. August 25th. (laughs) (laughs) Saturday, August 25th. We're going to be in Parkville, Maryland at Sully's Comedy Cellar. On August 26th, we are coming uh, all the way to actually Philadelphia at Comedy Sports Theater. Heart of the city. Speaking of, August 31st, we're going to be at the Duplex at 9 p.m. in the Big Apple. September 6th, we're going to be somewhere in the Pacific Northwest, followed by Siren Theater in Portland, Oregon on September 7th. Then September 8th, we're going to be at the Mac Club in McMinnville, Oregon. And September 9th, we're going to be at Riddler's in Spokane, Washington. On September 10th, we are in Pullman, Washington at Etsy Bravo. And And September 11th, we are at the Pentagon (laughs) demanding answers. (laughs) I I wrote it down on our calendar (laughs) as she was trying to read it. She's like, we're at the where? I was like, Pendleton? Is that Pendleton? Did you get that Pendleton room back? No, we're getting our country back. (laughs) (laughs) Who books that? Dick Cheney. (laughs) I should have said Michael Moore. If you put a Mormon and a meth head together, this is what they sound like. Aaron Woodall and just a read our friends. Listen to them talking to Mike. Speaking of being forced to watch movies, we finally got around to watching Nanette while driving. Yeah, everyone's, yeah, we did it while driving too. <laughs> That's how bad we are. We were stuck in traffic and we we're like, well, I guess now's as good a time as any. Yeah, I guess technically it wasn't driving while we were sitting in our car stopped on the side of the freeway. And it's not like, I, I, neither, neither of us watch m- much stand up comedy. No. Uh, people are always asking about specials. I'm like, have you seen this? And have you seen that special? I watched Dave Chappelle's Netflix specials, but I didn't even watch Chris Rock's. Like, that's... I don't... I did watch that. If somebody says something about it that I'm like, want to know what they're talking about, but I don't like to watch stand-up because then I feel like the premises sink into my brain. I forget this thing, and then I come up with a bit... If it... Like, most of my stuff is autobiographical, but sometimes I come up with, like, a... uh, An angle that I feel like, did I steal that from them? Or is this just parallel thinking? And so if I just don't watch anyone's shit or any TV show or anything ever, then everything I come up with, if it's already been done, you know, I didn't yeah. know that. I um, am, I like having the deniability, right? <laughs> to be, like, people, there's parallel thinking, that's real. Yeah. And anytime people would be like, oh, uh, well, you know, Jim Gaffigan has a bit about giraffes i'd be like oh yeah i've never listened to any of jim gaffigan i don't know who that is so exactly and then i then i clean i have a clear conscious you know yeah but i think i i it's it's hard for me to enjoy stand-up specials because we already around we're around stand-up so much it's hard for me to uh view them as entertainment and just shut off my brain and just enjoy them because I'm, i'm viewing them very technically and so that i feel like Either either I get super angry like watching a stand-up special because I don't like it and I don't think it's good and I'm just like nitpicking everything or um, it's so good that I still get very angry. <laughs> I, just, I remember one time trying to watch a Bill Burr special and turning it off every five minutes and being like, fuck, I'll never be that good. I'll oh, never, really? I'll never. I'll never. He even did a joke. He did a joke that I was already doing. A million times better than I could have ever dreamed of. Like he showed me where that that premise was supposed to go, Ugh. and I was like, "Fuck, God, I'm the worst comedian. I'm never. I'm <laughs> fuck, shit." And I just and so I just I, I end up mad every time. There are comedians that make me think, "Why am I doing this? Yeah, like, what am I? What am I doing here? I'm not even on this level." Um, I think, um, if they suck. I don't know. I just don't, I don't watch enough of them, but then sometimes 
people won't shut up or stop posting. And then I feel like in order to understand what everyone's talking about, I have to watch it. And I felt like I had to watch Nanette because I needed to understand how a stand-up special could be uh, such an affront to stand-up comedy. (laughs) I mean, I was like, it sounded like I expected it to be, I expected not to like it. Just based on Um, the people that you know? Some of the stuff that I heard, I thought, okay, I'm like, I like this. I like this, this push towards uh, more authentic, whatever, and uh, storytelling and bringing like your personal truth and your trauma into comedy. Obviously, that's something I resonate with. But it, she was almost directly quoted several times as saying, comedy needs to be this and you need to stop doing this and you need to stop doing that. And so I really expected a lot of you statements uh-huh. and it, it, I, it's such a, it's so funny to watch it and then see what a projection everyone else, their react. So yeah, we watched a, a month or two of people's reactions to Nanette. Like in the beginning it was quiet. It was a few people praising the hell out of it. Right. And then that those people grew and then there was backlash and the backlash was like, well, you know, it's not stand-up comedy. And, well, she says stand-up comedy is dead. Then there was articles as like, like the the headlines were stand-up comedy is dead and this is why it needs to die. And and then there, were, then there was like backlash to those articles. That, and I'm like, I feel like that's where you and me saw most of our – like that's when it started to become really big. Yeah. And it just seemed like everyone was responding to Hannah Gadsby that was like – fuck you it's not dead but really they were just like responding to like a new york times uh editorial that yeah, that was right. like speaking on behalf of hannah you know like as someone who enjoyed nanette the she then uh like uh, wrote this article right uh but instead like so when we actually watched and listened to the words that hannah gadsby actually said uh, there was like nothing there to be offended by. There's yeah, nothing. she didn't say anything about stand up comedy being dead. She just said she is done with stand up comedy. She personally is done with it. And I heard her saying, "Okay, so spoiler alert. Obviously, for the rest of this, if you haven't watched Annette, we're gonna we're gonna break down some stuff in it. And you probably should. Yeah, you should go watch traffic, it. And come back. Uh, yeah, pull just, it out. <laughs> my mom was like, "Oh, I watched that. I didn't like it." And I said, why? Because my mom's a huge Tignataro fan. Yeah, she's got the same haircut as uh, (laughs) Hannah Gadsby. I thought she would have really related. Okay. She said that she felt like, because I was like, yeah, but it's not, everyone wants to argue whether or not it's stand-up. And okay, so let's take that part out of it. It's performance. It is, and Tim Dillon said in an article that it was the the special of the year because everyone's talking about it. If it's not stand-up... Maybe it's better than stand up. Yeah. Like I, I think that's just, first of all, that's the most boring critique of it. Well, it's not stand up. I can't she even have felt that like conversation the... with you. That's so boring. Is yeah. It, what, what are you What are you saying? Are you saying you didn't laugh enough? I feel like all right. That's a just say that sentence. But like I would have liked to laugh more because I don't think while I I can get nitpicky and I feel like I I saw a couple points where I felt like oh you thought that was going to hit harder than it did maybe. Yeah. For the most part, she got laughs everywhere she wanted laughs. Yeah. She just didn't want as many laughs on her on her uh like that's that wasn't her overall goal. She was taking the audience to different emotions other than laughter. And it, that's so powerful and so cool. I can't believe you would want to diminish the power of stand-up comedy by saying she doesn't get to be a part of it, but saying like she that didn't count, and that you're just uh, scared of something different, or you're just jealous because uh, what we our art form is it was so much cooler sure. than everyone else's. I love it. I love it because it, it has it is so many things. It's nuanced. It's big. It's huge. There's a lot of different stuff. And why would you ever want to be like, well, that's not stand-up, unless you're talking about improv comedians? Then. <laughs> <laughs> then say, yeah, you don't get a seat at the table. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Sorry, I apologize. <laughs> she, someone had told me that she said that if you laugh at someone who's being self-deprecating, you are helping them humiliate themselves. And I thought, well, that's not true. 
you know, I think it's a lot of time, a lot of like my self-deprecating stuff is stuff that I get, I get messages from people like, wow, I thought I was the only one. So I think it's a point where we relate to each other. And I, I, I thought about times that I used self-deprecating humor. I, I, I'm not trying to say, uh, being a straight white male is the same as, uh, uh, a lesbian in Tasmania, but I am Mormon. Or, right. you know, I, and I was really Mormon for most of my career. Like this whole ex-Mormon thing has just been a recent development for a long time. I was doing jokes about being Mormon and there was already funny stuff there about like, I don't drink and, and, and stuff and everyone, I'm everyone's designated driver and stuff that I wanted to get to, but I had to break down people's, uh, expectations first. Like there's, there were walls that the audience would throw up. They look at right. you suspiciously, depending on where you're performing, uh, where they're like, what? This guy's a Mormon? Like they, they, and they have shit to say. Yeah. And so like, I wanted to say all the shit in their head first before right. they thought it, you know? And then, cause I, that's, you have to call the moment and you have to, you know, anticipate what the audience is thinking. Right. So if you, they're thinking Mormons are so weird, I want to do a couple jokes about, yeah, we're weird, you know? And that's, uh, I think that's what like Hannah is talking about. Right. And I imagine how much worse that that would be, uh, in her position or a person of color's position and like how many areas, how many venues you would have to like watch yourself at and stuff. Yeah. I, you, cause your laughs bit was a joke about, cause you turn it on them at the end, but you, you kind of, well, that is this, true. Yeah. You have this thing where it's like, oh yeah, Mormons are so weird and so it seems like you're kind of relating. I'm going to uh, fuck this up. Yeah. But I was like, manslaughter it. <laughs> God damn, Justin. You're just like, I'm going to unintentionally murder it. It's not, I'm not doing it on purpose. It's very That's very correct, but surprisingly technical. Uh, I'm going to first degree manslaughter this bit of yours. Um, I'm glad that it wasn't a premeditated homicide of my bit. Well, that is something that I thought about because, like, it's not – comedy doesn't – and like I said about, you know, other comedians, Jesselnik and, and Tosh and stuff that are assholes. Like, comedy doesn't have to be self-deprecating. Right. I used I, – I – coming up in the Utah comedy scene, most everyone is ex-Mormon. And there's a lot of, like, really fucking hot takes on how Mormons are right. so dumb at all the open mics that I went to. And I hated that. And I wanted – to make jokes because I'm an obstinate person. I wanted to make jokes about like, fuck you, I'm Mormon. And so I, I did. I would I would open with some self-deprecation like you just to get people on my side. And then I would turn it and I would uh, just insult them for thinking differently. Like a guy, the, the joke I still tell about a dude who said it would be better if I were a sex offender than a yeah. Mormon. My that. You couldn't have given me a better bit, dude. Yeah. Because now I get to tell that joke, uh, and everyone like gets it's a it's it's an indirect way of shaming the audience for any like any people laugh at it, but it, like it also makes them realize like oh yeah like I was if you, if if they were thinking mean thoughts about Mormons or whatever right like uh but I just yeah I the the bit that I did on laughs that you were talking that that you almost manslaughtered was just. <laughs> Was just that, uh, all, like I, all religions were weird, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I said, uh, uh, or oh, I talk about stereotypes and yeah. I say, it's so, it's uh, the pressure, the pressure of being Mormon is hard because when someone meets me, I feel like all this pressure to somehow convince them like that everything they're thinking is not true. Again, born of like actual experiences. Yep. Right. Uh, and I was like, I feel all this pressure to somehow prove in the next 30 seconds that I'm not racist or or sexist or homophobic and that's a hard thing to do when you just met someone and two of those things are true <laughs> and that always got a big Which laugh was so bold for uh i remember watching that and being like well that's kind of bold for I yeah because well, just... you don't you know how you get away with this you don't say which two are true yeah exactly <laughs> and everyone gets to <laughs> everyone, then and then everyone gets to pick their favorite two like the two yeah. that they're most okay with you being <laughs> it's, a, it's a very it's a good uh like rorschach test of a joke uh but then uh and i say but then i say uh 
I don't do that to you guys. When I meet, uh, like, uh, like, like I've got a lot of Catholic friends and I just assume the best. Like, I just assume that you don't like little boys. I don't <laughs> at, like, I don't ask you about that up front. Like, I, uh, uh, and like, and then I'd like lift off, list off other examples, right. you know, where I'm like, where I'm just, I just point out every religion's got stereotypes and like, so that those people in that crowd go, oh yeah, I don't, uh, I'm not a pedophile, but I identify as Catholic. So I guess this guy doesn't have to be racist just because he's Mormon. Right. Like, right. and that's, that's what I was, uh, about. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, <sighs> I don't know how I feel about those jokes. And I'm, I mean, I think I still stand by all those jokes. I still, I feel like that's For still... where you were at at the time. Yeah, yeah. So, a couple of points that were made. Like, Michael Che uh, said... Che, sorry. Um, said that just straight-up rape stories are not funny. Like, straight-up, it's just not funny. And you should only talk about things that are funny or that end in something that? funny. Yeah, I mean, that was the gist of Ugh. it. And I get... I get it, I guess. I mean, I don't think she should go on onto a an LA comedy showcase and just recount uh the time she got raped. Right. Uh, but I think it's a special. Yeah. And you can do whatever you want in uh-huh. the special and there's definitely an audience for it. And so we're not we're not trying to turn stand up showcases into trauma uh therapy, but there's definitely a place for what she did. There's already this big shift in comedy where people are looking for perspectives from different people. And I was being told we already have a woman on this show as recent as 2014, Mm. 2000, definitely in 2010, like all the time. Uh, And then it turned into, Hey, I need a woman, a woman for this show. And now I'm finally on shows where we're starting to see, you know, 30% women. There are some shows that are all women and they're so good. And so, uh, people of color and different perspectives. And then I have these conversations sometimes cause somehow I don't, I, I don't seem as feminist as I am or something. I don't know, but where it's like, Oh, anybody wants to hear the white dudes, you know, uh-huh. all anybody wants to hear now is like gay people and trans people. I, I could tell you were a white dude by the voice. <laughs> it was a, a, a spot on impression. <laughs> And it's this. Yeah, this scene that someone said to, uh, to us just recently uh, when we were in their town, like, yeah, this scene is just about, like, being a girl or being trans. That's it. And they're like, okay, man. Uh, anyway, so it's how'd about, your first open mic yeah. go? <laughs> oh, I crushed it, dude. I it's crushed it. It's about perspective. I've done shows, I've, I've closed out showcases where it was all just white dudes and then me. And I murder because you just have uh, six white dudes that get up. And this isn't every white dude, but this is a lot of them. This is a lot of them. It's very uh, uh, tender, smoking pot, living in my parents' basement, masturbation. All the same uh, inflection, all the same tempo. The si- they, they stand the same. They're dressed the same. Like, it's a very uh, Stepford... There's a yeah. shit ton. And so those guys feel like things are being taken from them yeah and they are so annoying like it's just when 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 people say like oh yeah well it's just uh it's uh it's easier to be a woman right now or something it's not but i know what they mean right uh it's a good time to be a woman in comedy finally it's better yeah it's just like i don't know When, when these guys have this this take that 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 this business cares about other things than just strictly comedic talent. You're like, <laughs> Ooh, wow. Shocking revelation. The, the show, show business you say hmm. cares about, uh, what now? <laughs> Celebrities making, you know, selling tickets. Like, yeah, this business has always been about more than just straight up comedic talent. Right. They've, people are, uh, the industry, like the industry will look to fill demands right now. The in general, people are tired of straight white men. 
and it's not a hate crime. It's not uh, like liberal America <laughs> turning against you. It's just people got tired of it. They heard the same thing. And that's like we heard someone else with another voice. It's like, oh, wow, that's interesting. So they start flocking over there. The industry responds to that demand and is then like, I got to find I got to find a woman. I got to find a woman. I got to find a brown woman. I got to find, you know, they're, they're looking for these other people. Right. right. Um, and. Uh, so yeah, then it becomes easier for you to get like discovered or whatever, if you fit into that mold, but it's just like, you didn't complain about it when you were the mold that, yes. uh, that everyone was looking for right. forever. Just gotta find, gotta find a, a, a 20 year old man. I gotta find, yep. you know, like that's, I gotta find that youth thing. I gotta find it. I got, you know, like when, uh, or, or when, whatever it was, everything was white dudes. It was, it everything was, was white, white dudes. dudes forever. And you, and you didn't care then you weren't outraged at how uh this is. i feel like my people i feel like people that are uh that are bitter f- will find something like you know it's just like oh because he's got so many fucking twitter followers you know and you're Here's like well yeah, yeah. It, it does suck that that guy's not funny that he just has this show because of, he's got a huge social media following but like that that's that's always happened and will continue to happen my thing is, is like if you're a straight white man no one is going to keep anything from you that you deserve. The only the only thing that's happening right now is you're not getting things that you haven't yet earned. Boom. You haven't gotten something like no one's Fuck. no one's giving you a handout anymore and you're just working for it. Like th- there's no there's n- women aren't like hold like holding a door shut and keeping straight white men from coming into comedy clubs. <laughs> like no, like don't let them in. You can't like if you if you are funny. Yes. You will have a special. Like, th- no one is stopping John Mulaney from making specials. He's going to crank one out every single year, and no one's going to be like, enough of this this heterosexual pale boy. We don't like him anymore. <laughs> like, he's undeniably funny. Yes. He has worked his whole career to build a giant fan base. Like, he can do, he can do whatever he wants to do. So why don't you do it? Like just when you, I don't think I'm not, I I'm maybe not spend the time that you're spending uh, complaining about how things are being taken away from you and write some fucking jokes, yeah. write some original shit instead. Of, yeah, I did anything where people spend time complaining. I always just think, man, imagine if you had spent that energy working. Like all this time that you just took to tell me why you're not succeeding in any area in their life. Like, oh, people have excuses. And I'm like, well, that's the story that you're telling yourself. But like you just spent all that time and energy telling me how you can't have this when you could have spent all that time and energy finding a way to get it. Yeah. Speaking of stories we tell, that was another big uh, takeaway from Nanette. Yes. She was done with comedy because she didn't think it was helpful because she was repeating the same hurtful or damaging maybe stories over and over again. Uh, she tells a joke about coming out to her mom and it's funny how her mom like doesn't accept her or something, you know, right. so I can't remember the joke. Uh, and then later she explains like, uh, my mom actually changed, you know, she came around. Like we have a great relationship right now. We love each other more than mother and daughter. Like we're best friends. We love each other. And, I was keeping her in a box. I kept telling this story night after night on stage about how my mom didn't accept me. My mom didn't accept me. My mom, I'm getting laughs from it, you know, and using it over and over and over again. And in my head, she was still that woman because I was still telling that joke. And I realized that that was damaging and I needed to stop. I needed to let her grow, you know. Right. I had to stop telling that joke. I like the stories that we tell. I talk about the stories that we tell ourselves because – Reality really is just perception based. And if you decide that the reality that you live in is one in which everyone is always trying to fuck you over, everything that happens will point to that reality. If I can't get a break is the narrative that you are telling yourself, then everything will point to that. Things that like someone from the outside perspective would be like, no, that was an opportunity that nobody else got. And, you know, uh, so like, uh, I always just believe I'm winning. 
I believe I'm winning when things go bad. I'm like, well, this must be in my best interest somehow. The Jesse Reed guy. The Jesse Reed guy to always winning. When everything got so, when someone burglarized my house uh, earlier in the month, someone came into my house when I was home in the back of the apartment. They took my purse off the counter. They went downstairs and stole my car. I woke up in the morning just trying to find like denture glue and then I'd have a car. <laughs> uh, and I. I, that sounds like such a good tweaker joke. Yeah. You ever been trying to find your denture glue and you found out Somebody you got robbed again? Car. And it was like, um, I remember s- something like this, getting my house getting broken into when I was young. And I remember after that feeling so unsafe and like the walls closing in and they could be back any minute or whatever. And I didn't... I was just like, well, this must be in my best interest somehow. I mean, I really liked that car. I don't know how I'm going to get a deal like that on another car, but uh, this must somehow be in my best interest. And so then I wrapped my mind around, I'll get a new car and it'll be cool. And then now maybe they found my car and now I'm like, God damn it. Well, I was kind of got my hopes up about that car. (laughs) Uh, But I just never, no part of me ever at any point was like, I can't get a break. This has been horrible. You know, I just, cause I just don't think that way. I don't see things that way. I do occasionally, um, get, uh, like maybe about a one person, you know, and I'll be like, this person is trying to, burr, 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 burr. and then I'll, then everything they say will like fill into that. Line thing. up with that narrative that you've already written. Right. Yeah. And then, and then everything, but you can put anything in any context. And so if you're looking at your entire life, in the context that you can't catch a break, that the universe is against you, that people are against you. The same shit happens to everyone. I do think that if you spend an exorbitant amount of time obsessing over the bad things, you'll get more bad things. I can't tell you how much my life has changed about just not caring about money anymore. I used to just be constantly stressed about how broke I was yeah, and how little money I had and how many bills I had. And then I just stopped and I don't, uh, and I don't like tell myself that I'm broke, and I don't uh, obsess over my bank account. Uh, I could, uh, ch- again, like I said before, check in on me in a year and see if I'm bankrupt. Uh, yeah. But as of right now, I feel like I have the exact same amount of money, but I'm just happier. Yeah. I don't worry about spending money on fast food. I don't go like, oh my god, I'm gonna have to spend another seven dollars today, which I used to do. Yeah. And I just. So I I like I just brought it up as an example of like the same shit happening. I feel like I get the same amount of parking tickets and the same amount of like unexpected bills and I just don't freak out about them anymore. And so yeah, like I all I've done is just like played some game in my head where I just flipped a switch and now I'm just happier. It's just perception based. It's always everything is perception based. Money was a huge money was probably the hardest programming for me to overcome the hardest poverty mentality i was raised poor i had a lot of lack pumped into my head and then i did that five years in christianity and it was a it was a prosperity prosperity, and that did help i don't you never hear me say i can't afford something i say i don't want to because the facts of the matter is if i want something i will figure out how to get it so what's the logic? Is that something they taught in church? Don't yeah, say to can't. say you can't afford something is to you're just reinforcing this idea that uh, theirs is all about God and God giving you shit. But we live in an abundant universe. There is no reason that you can't have everything that everyone else wants. And my dad was much more. I lived mostly with my mom. Got a lot of poverty mentality from my mom. A lot of we can't afford that. We can't do this. We can't afford that. We can't afford that. Um, my dad was more like, if you want to do something, do it and work more. And Jason was very, uh, Jason, my husband was very, very ambitious. I got a lot of ambition from him. He really taught me a lot about focus and getting what you want and not stopping and knowing when to push forward and when to sit and let things come to you. And he's so amazing at all this stuff, but Jason is just, and Jason dropped out of school in ninth grade. Jason was a a hardcore felon and uh, had all of these things to overcome. And I know so many felons who are like, I can't get a job because I have one felony. And Jason had this crazy thick 
FBI thing. And Jason would just go. He decided he wanted to be in the car business because he found out how much money he could make. And Jason would go to car dealerships and just he went to one car dealership so many times after they rejected his application because he was a felon that the owner had him put into a special room. And he texted me. and was like, I might be going to jail right now. I don't know. I think I might have come here too many times. <laughs> he just came every single day. Yeah. And then the owner brought him in and was like, I have to hire you because like who the fuck does this and then he was the manager of that dealership within a year because he just is like no fuck that jason's story is not do that he's a felon could do that? jason makes more money than uh most college educated people i know and he was out of school on the streets in and out of prison by while everyone else was in high school he did not go to college and jason just is like no nah, that's not my story i'm not a victim of my circumstance when you first told me about this kind of idea my my mentality was like that's you're lying to yourself you're, that's you're lying but now i see there's a great level of honesty required in order to to recognize things that are happening and say that's not my story because like you you have a a just like a belief in yourself i feel like jason jason knew himself and wouldn't let external circumstances define him like yeah that, where he was like that that doesn't feel true to me. Like he was that's like, I don't know. I think there's something with Hannah too. That's just so, I don't think stand up is dead or stand up is uh bad or wrong or like unuseful or anything. I just think she realized that she wasn't being entirely honest. Right. And that she had to, that like her, her, that, that little bit of dishonesty on stage was a, a reflection of dishonesty in herself. And she like at the end of her special talks about how much self hate that you are taught, uh, as a, as a kid growing up in a place, like if you're a gay kid, the, yeah. growing, like they just pump self hate into you and that she had to reconcile that like their stand up was just a reflection. And this is what I love about stand up is like, it, it helps you be honest. You know, I, I tr I try no I'm not perfect but I try really hard to to keep my my act honest and authentic and because I allow for that flexibility I don't think I'll ever get caught in a rut like uh, right. uh hers where she was like I kept telling the same joke the same way in just like the year after my divorce I watched my my divorce jokes change I told with the, your experience yeah, yeah. yeah I told essentially the same jokes but they got way more accepting of Tabitha. Like I, uh, you know, I cut out a lot of like the mean stuff that I said about her because I didn't believe it anymore. Right. I was like, okay, I got to a, like I did, I did really just like like that fucking bitch for a while, <laughs> uh, uh, and then I got to a point where I was like, I really don't think she's wrong for leaving. So I guess I can't tell, you know, I have to change the way I tell that joke or I need to cut it. And yeah. I would change stuff, you know. And then it just like my joke, my then joke just became about me being sad that she left. Right. Rather, rather than me being angry at what a betrayal she had, you know, and I uh, watched my act evolve and change. And like sometimes it changed on the day. Yeah. If, if I had an angry phone call with her. Yeah. My I've act seen that. Re, uh, <laughs> was pretty angry right after that. Uh, if I was uh, in a much better place, I told jokes about like dating for the first time rather than jokes about uh, being left, you know. Right. It's just uh, I think that. The most important thing in life is to know thyself. And it's so, there's so many people who don't, and it boggles my mind. I'm like, how do you not understand your own motivations and the reasons why you do things, you know? And I think that, that Nanette was an amazing example of introspection. There's a person changing before our eyes. She was like, I have to settle this inside myself. I have to learn to love myself. It was beautiful to yeah. watch. It's what I want my stand-up to be like. I um, I thought I thought the entire thing was a great performance. I think you see. I think we're coming into an age where people want the truth. People want to hear authentic things. People want to know they're not alone, which was a lot of what she was saying. One thing I didn't fully agree with, and I think it's just because she used a word different than I would use, but she talked about anger not being useful. And I thought, I think what she's referring to is resentment, maybe. Um, because I absolutely think, I think that anger, I think just I like, agree. 
I think uh, harbored anger, I think anger as an emotion to come in and clear things. I think sometimes... Um, it is a stage of grief. Yeah. You have, it, so to say anger is not useful is is incorrect. Yeah. I feel like anger is absolutely useful. I disagreed with her there as well. Yeah. Uh, but I'm I, trying to remember the context because I know we know, had a But you're right. It was re- she's talking about like this... this Harbored... Uh, uh-huh. That wasn't helpful. Yeah. She's, she's, festering. Yeah, festering stuff, which uh, I, don't, I don't mean for that to sound like a judgment on, on her because it's like yeah. deep embedded shit that you get growing up religious and people telling you all this uh, stuff, you know. I don't think that – I think as a stage of grief, it is very helpful. Yeah. And if, I think that your divorce was a great example of that. And if you only stay on that stage, if right. you never move past it, then yeah, you get to – and I feel like that's what she is saying. More yeah. than it wasn't useful, it wasn't useful anymore. Yeah. Like you, you, you're not supposed to be angry forever. Yeah. But like I disagreed because I was like my anger in my comedy act was absolutely instrumental in in my uh, uh, I don't know. It healing was it process. was authentic in your healing process and it was authentic to the moment that you were in. So I think that you know how sometimes we go to record podcasts and we have uh, an emotional thing going on between us. There's a tension between us, and then we try to get we try to record. a a more shallow podcast or a podcast about something else and it never works. And then like when we, we recorded fight, like we had to record authentic to that moment that we were in. If you were doing stand up about anything other than your anger, it Man, would have not I had, translated. I had clean gigs that I had to go do. Oh to god, make, I can't to pay imagine my bills, right? And I had to go tell all my uh, old jokes about like being married and like all, <laughs> all my old actors. Like so, I mean, it's crazy raising a kid, right? So me and my happily married <laughs> wife uh, <laughs> that I don't hate yeah. at all. <laughs> oh my god, it was so. It was like death. Was oh death. god, I hated it. Well, you don't so, like you to be fake. You I, can't be fake for five minutes, so I can't I know, even imagine. I, I, there were a lot of corporate gigs that got uh, strange divorce jokes for. <laughs> I did them anyway. I was I opened with like some clean stuff, and then I like put in like the cleanest of the, the divorce joke. Like I had I had to get it out. Yeah. And I was just like, <laughs> so there's like they're at this company uh, party. It's like this end of year celebration. <laughs> I was in Lehigh, it was a very Mormon town, uh, performing for some like company full of young uh, Mormon. Uh, <laughs> like yuppies just like they're yeah. all like computer but they're all still very mormon and just and you know corporate shows are already awful yeah and they're just in this room it's like lit. sideways you know where it's like there's there's six people in front of me and but like a hundred you know then like on the wings there's 50 people 90 degrees to my left and to my right and i'm standing uh and uh and i'm just like so my wife left me. <laughs> just the sound of forks scraping plates <laughs> And I would just, uh, I would just do it. I just didn't care. Just didn't care. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Like when when I would tell a joke and it would get no laughs, I would be like, "Mm, sorry, my divorce has been so hard on you. (laughs) I know this is a really rough time for you guys. And I was just like, I don't get. I love how you lean into it too. (laughs) Well, you said, all right. this sounds bad coming after that last story, but I just um, feel like uh, to go back to what Michael Shea said, like we should be telling jokes about really dark and, and difficult things. That's the fun in it. I feel like that's such a fun challenge. If you, I mean, it's difficult and not everyone can do it. And that's why most of those attempts suck. Like I I personally have a chip on my shoulder for every single person that gets divorced and then tries an open mic. Like right. this will be my new thing. I'll do stand-up comedy. And I'll, you know what I'll do? I'll do stand-up comedy about my divorce. And uh, they bomb. And I feel like, hey, stop stealing my bit, man. Uh, <laughs> you're making a bit. But it's just Pete like Holmes. you shouldn't. <laughs> Pete Holmes is okay. I'm going to let Pete Holmes have it. Uh, but uh, – they you you can do stuff about uh dark topics it's just challenging but i think that's the most rewarding feeling when you take something that the audience doesn't want to laugh at and you make them laugh at yeah that's a that's a fucking great joke yeah you can take something that makes them very sad something that makes them scared or something that makes them angry and then turn that feeling into laughter 
boom that's catharsis yeah boom. That, that's so that's not what michael che was saying he was saying straight up rape stories with no punchlines, and so that is a valid okay. point if it wasn't her special so if she wants to go to uh the stand and just tell a story of a violent rape with no punchlines then his point is valid. I just think that on your special, you can do whatever you want, especially if you pulled it off. Yeah. you When you're taping a special, you've earned something. You yeah. Know, hopefully. And uh, the way that things work is that people, after they've seen something done a million different ways and then perfected, it's like memes, you know, they want to see something different. So everyone has a, there's a million specials out right now. And so I just think, man, someone got up and did something different and there's an audience for it, and you might not be the audience for it. Everything isn't for everybody. And it's not a personal, I guess that people do that when you're talking about, this happens to me a lot because I'm always on some trip that that isn't the mainstream trip. And so I'm like, yeah, I think, I think I'm done with uh, monogamy. doesn't make sense to me. And, you know, I've been on and off this trip for 20 years. And I, everyone I have that conversation with, like, clutches their their belief in monogamy you know i'm like i'm not saying that you i'm not trying to fuck you uh or your spouse i'm just uh but people only hear that as a judgment on their experience and i get i i've had a lot of this in sobriety where people who don't drink i talk about i don't drink because i don't like it i'm not interested in it i think it makes you dumb i don't I don't have any, like, I liked meth because it made me feel smart. I don't like alcohol because it makes me feel dumb. I don't want to be dumb. I don't want to hurt my body. I don't want to age prematurely. So, and then people are like, yeah, well, I mean, I just need a little bit to da 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 Like, I, I'm just talking about myself and people take it as. So, I guess you hear her talking about her relationship with stand-up. And I think you have the one pocket of white dudes who just felt like uh, this is just another step away from our rain yeah <laughs> and Another then brick in the wall yeah and then there's just a lot of people heard her say a lot of you statements there was like once where i heard where she made a general blanket statement but everything was about her and it really just seemed like it was the thread the narrative for the special mm -hmm. she said something yeah, about she shame it's a blanket statement you don't have to i feel like she probably did yeah and you and i listened to it and we were just like well, I guess that's kind of true. Yeah. And we and we accepted it for the instances in which it was true, and we didn't let it bother us. Uh, I don't care what other people think I should do. The whole world is filled with people telling me I should do shit. And it just isn't... I'm like, uh, yeah, I don't care how you all did it. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't want what you all got. So, whatever. And I don't... Yeah, I don't, I don't know why it was such an affront to so many people i just think everything's not for everybody why can't you just watch something and be like no nah, not my cup of tea or appreciate it for what it is and move the fuck on without thinking that it's it's coming for you yeah well when you get to a point too where everyone has an opinion on on it you feel like i oh i need to submit yeah. my opinion can i go back to self-deprecation jokes for a second yeah um, oh, and also dark jokes because you and I both love uh, jokes about dark topics. Yeah, you do. I mean, you got famous off of drinking your own pee. Yeah, uh, and you made it really funny. Yeah, I didn't. Here's the thing, because uh, she talks a little bit about cutting jokes off at the trauma point and needing to make traumatic things funny, and I don't think. I might leave out inane details, but the thing that makes me happy about comedy. And in 2013, I went through a phase where I decided I was just going to be a mom comic because I never got to do things the way that everyone else did them. I didn't come up in the clubs. Nobody know who's, knows who I am. I did one fucking festival and I bombed and then went to work for it. Uh, I had to, I carved out my own path the entire time because from the very beginning, my very first jokes after I got clean were about trauma. They were dark. They were about trauma. They didn't translate well at the fucking VFW. They uh, are hard to eat your mozzarella sticks while I'm talking about the worst things that have ever happened to me and the worst uh -huh. things I've ever done. In a 20-minute in a set with me, you hear about my social anxiety. You find out that I got molested when I was a kid. You hear that my parents didn't love me. You hear about my drug addiction. And, and so, a rape fetish. And a rape fetish. And it's a lot. And it's funny. I do. They are. There's punchlines. But I 
that I, I want to talk about that stuff. That's how I am. That's how I am in conversations. I think that's one of my favorite things about you is because, uh, we could just instantly talk like that. I don't want to talk about, I don't have a ton of shallow observations about whatever. And I just feel like everyone, you know, every, everything else has been done. All I can talk about is myself. That's the only original content I can really produce. And myself has been having a lot of dark experiences and that's what makes me laugh. And so I have always just leaned into that. And as a result, and it takes power away from those things. It does. And I love, I get like the female that I get is, is about people's personal lives and about their pain and about feeling heard and about the thing about social anxiety. I did. I wrote that bit. I wrote the social anxiety bit because I was embarrassed because I had humiliated myself so many times trying to make friends. I don't think I ever told you this. No, but I, I, yeah. While I was trying to conquer social anxiety, uh, I kept going out and was like with comics was trying because I would just go up to Philly, do a show and leave and nobody knew who I was and I would just show up and I would do well and then leave and like not interact. And so I was like, I'm going to make friends. And I would go, I went up one time to make friends and this asshole comedian humiliated me. And then I left for years and then I came back and was like, I have to Say fix this. His name. Tom Cassidy, Tom Cassidy, put his hand in my face and told me to get away uh, while I was trying to compliment his set because I was moving around too much at his uh, fucking open mic set. You were moving... Oh, I was it- fidgeting, you know, because uh-huh. it's me. And I went up to compliment him afterwards on a night that I went there to make friends. Yeah. And I... Uh, so I was vulnerable in a way that and you had amped yourself up like, and I'd go amped myself up. I'm, I'm going to go talk, talk to him. him. And I walked out and I was like, Hey, great. Cause he was my favorite comedian of the night. And he said, uh, were you the blonde over there? And I was like, yeah. And I hadn't done comedy in a long time. was getting ready to get back into comedy. And he was like, uh, yeah, you were moving around a lot during my set. It was very distracting. And I thought he was joking. And so I laughed and then he just like turned away from me. So I went in the bathroom and was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And so then I, I left and as I was leaving, he had just like a posse of comedians around him. And I, cause he was like, uh, thought he was hot shit coming down from New York or whatever. Now that's a thing. I know what that is. Also don't run into 2018, Jessa. Uh, <laughs> it's not going to work out good for you. Um, but 2012, Jessa, uh, who just went up there to make friends. Plus I was from Portland. Like they, you walk, uh, you walk in and nobody recognizes you. They come up and introduce themselves. Like that's the comedy scenes that I was familiar with. So then I walked up to apologize. Also very difficult. I had to cut through a group of people. So I felt like everyone was looking at me like this is all super not. This is really hard with social anxiety. And I tried to apologize and tell him that I was a professional comedian. And that I came up here to make friends. And I really liked to set. And everything I said, he was like, no, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Okay, bye, 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 bye. And put his hand in my face. And uh, if he had been. In front of everyone. In front of everyone. And I walked away and cried. And I didn't go back up to Philly for years. And uh, I, I just can't wait. I can't wait to run into that. Can't wait for Sunday, August 26th at the Comedy <laughs> Sports Theater. She makes a triumphant return. No, he's in New York. He's the, in New York. Uh, well, I'm just saying you're going back to Philly. Yeah, I am going back to Philly. So now I'm, now I'm part of the Don't Philly fuck up the show plug. So anyway, I didn't go back up to Philly for a couple of years. And then when I started going back up to Philly, I would just go up and do shows and leave. And not because of that experience, just because of social anxiety. So the year that I decided to try to co- uh, conquer social anxiety, I just kept humiliating myself. One night I tried to hang out with a bunch of comics. This actually started that joke. Um, and they said, where do your kids go to school? And I was like, I actually homeschool. And then I just went on this giant, like, that was the one question they asked. Where do your kids go to school? Are your kids in school? Something like that. You know, just trying to make small talk. And then I was like, I actually find that most adults find happiness elusive and that blah, 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 blah. And I went off for 15 minutes because I feel like if I stop talking we're going to have an awkward silence and I told all these things about how difficult it was for me being in school and how I dropped out of school but then I got my GED really fast because I was intelligent but I didn't know I was intelligent because it's a uh, cutting uh, cookie cutter education system and stuff and then I was just like stop just to stop just to stop just to stop and I couldn't stop and then I just turned around and walked away and uh, I was just having experience like this after experience like this like oversharing and realizing that I don't know how to connect on that shallow level. Like, I only know how to talk. Because I don't shut the fuck up if you get me talking about, see? Uh, you don't shut the fuck up. Yeah. But Period. I don't, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know how to talk about small talk stuff. So I wrote Social Anxiety so that people would hear me tell that story. So that after the show, they would not 
so it would be less embarrassing uh-huh. for me and what ended up happening was a million people being like dude that's my life that's every day of my life and it's on youtube and i get a shitty version of it is on youtube and i get people all the time that's like i've never had anyone describe exactly what it's like inside my head yeah and I, that's what i love about dark comedy i uh would agree i would agree i think that it's uh I wrote lots of jokes because that was something I felt guilty about or embarrassed about. Yes. And I wanted to, I wanted to take responsibility for like feelings. I was like for divorce stuff. Right. I would be embarrassed by, uh, some of the, the, like the evil mean thoughts that I had, uh, about Tabitha. So I would write a joke that like lampooned those, those thoughts that like pointed out how ridiculous I was being or something. I wrote jokes about like admitting about how much I wanted to still have sex with her. And, uh, and it's my favorite, Mm. (laughs) it's my favorite joke because people would not laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I do. I was like, um, I I was just telling people because, uh, Oh, I like this joke a lot because people would just be like, man, she's such a bitch. And I would say, I don't think that that's true. Uh, I also just don't think it's helpful. Like, what do you, that, like, I, I know, I don't know. Like, what do you, <laughs> just imagine if you got shot, like, imagine if, if like a guy came up to you and shot you, uh, and, in the stomach and then you woke up in the hospital and this doctor was like, Hey man, good news is, uh, the guy who shot you is a dick <laughs> guy. That guy is a dick. And none of us like him. We're all on your side. No one likes him. You'd be like, okay, thank you uh, for the support. This is not doing a lot for the blood that's pouring out of my abdomen right now. (laughs) Or the fact that I still really want to fuck him. (laughs) And then I would just, I would, I would act out crying on stage, but it was like never an act. I would always just like give my, this is where I would lose everyone. I would, uh, but it was my favorite part because it, it was such a release on stage, and I would just cry on stage. I'd be like, oh, I really want to fuck you. <laughs> uh, uh, he had perfect boobs, and I miss him so much. <laughs> I know he shot me, but I miss him. Just one more time. And I would just keep going until, until everyone, like, all the laughter had died. And then, <laughs> And then I would like look up at them with this like big giant grin on my face, like because <laughs> like I wanted to remind them, like I, I as much as I like taking stuff that was sad and making it funny, mm-hmm. I th- there was that angry part in me that wanted to constantly remind people that it is still painful for me, that it is wow, and, like, and that's I, what she did, and it is yeah, and I don't think that there's anything wrong with that in stand-up i think that it is it's difficult to do and i i would agree with michael shea that you're like it's not stand-up if you're just going to straight up tell a 30-minute story about your rape and no one laughs like but i do i i i think that there's plenty of room in stand-up to have those little dark moments to remind people that it's not just funny and that's what that new york times article or new yorker or whatever it was that article that was like in this in this donald trump world we don't need comedy anymore because it's it's a lie like to 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 act like we can just laugh about this stuff and that it'll go away oh yeah you know and i'm like uh sure that's true like we need we need more seriousness and more action but like i feel like there there is still room to accomplish that i think like obviously we should also uh you know uh have protests and like forcefully overthrow ice but uh the, yeah. like you can also still have comedians who joke about these topics yeah you, but i think i am very interested in what hannah did in that like in the midst of jokes remind people that like that it's real you know like she made us cry we haven't talked about that part but she there were we if someone makes you laugh and cry yeah. in the same 60 minutes just there by is talking, value there. that's yes. masterful. She's powerful. She's very, very good. I thought that it was interesting that she didn't feel obligated to end on a laugh. I want to talk about the shame thing that she said. Do you remember Dude, the quote? Yeah, but I want to come back to not ending on a laugh because that's a big, that's a big thing for me. Yeah. 
Can we do that now? Do you, you want to do that, that now? Okay. Not, that's an idea that I had played around with in my head uh, for a long time. When I was doing all these shitty road gigs, I would be super happy on stage and everyone would have a good time. And I enjoyed myself on stage and then I would get off of it and feel shitty again. And then shake everyone's hands and pretend to be like, ha, ha, ha. and then I'd go back to my hotel room and stay up all night because I was so depressed. And I just, and I kept thinking about that crowd left and had such like on such a good note. And I would love for them to know how I feel after a show. I wow. want them to know. And I, I just started fantasizing about this idea where I pull the rug out from under the audience at the end of a show where I'm just like, uh, funny, 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 funny for 60 minutes or, you know, 59 minutes. And then at the end, just say something super depressing and leave. Yeah. And everyone would be like, what the fuck? And there was just an idea. And then I watched Bo Burnham do it and make happy. And like similar to that Bill Burr experience, it blew my mind where I was like, that was better. That's what I wanted to do. It's what I dreamt about doing. And he did it a million times better than I ever could have. Right. He ends make happy on such uh, a melancholic note that it's haunting. It's and it, it, I, I loved it. I was, I had to watch it a second time and, and Hannah Gatsby did uh, this. I mean, Bo is, is, is coach, is, sorry, couched in, in funnier stuff. Yeah. Uh, and Hannah's is like the, the end part that everyone then like called a Ted talk or some shit, but like, uh, uh, it left you thinking. Yeah. I think, okay. So I think for a special, it's amazing. I think if you end a road gig <laughs> on a dark note, you're not doing your job. <laughs> uh, and I think that these are the things that people are trying to compare. So if I'm going to make a special, it's going to be art and it's going to be, uh, it's not going to be safe. I don't have any interest in that. And it's going to be, I want to take you on a journey. I want to take you on an emotional. So I think a lot of her stuff just resonated because that's how I see comedy. And as a result, I am not universally palatable. You can't just stick me in any, I do have an hour of mom jokes that I pull from to do whatever road gigs. But if you see me to if you come to a show to see me, I would rather do things that take you on more of an emotional journey. But I want to talk about the shame thing because I go for it. Go for it. So she says, when you soak a child in shame, they cannot develop the neurological pathways. Oh, I thought I had it. and I didn't. So I'm going to paraphrase it. But she's talking about self-worth. And she was saying that when uh, you soak a child in shame, they cannot develop the, they don't develop the self-worth. They don't develop, their brain doesn't function uh -huh. in that way. And she was talking about how, although she was gay, she was raised in an environment where that was wrong, that was innately evil, that was whatever. So even though she was gay, she was homophobic. Right. And I think she said that there was like this part of her that felt like she deserved to be beat up by that guy. Yeah. There was a part of her that felt like she deserved uh, uh, being raped because uh, she had that hardwired programming. Yeah. And I thought I couldn't help but think about indoctrinated children. I couldn't help but think about how deep the programming is and how much that affects your stories. And we've talked so much on this podcast about how fascinating it is that you don't know that you're hot, that you don't know that you're uh, as great as you are and how you're just like starting to figure that out because all that embedded programming as a child, you were just soaked in shame. You were just told that all of these very natural, normal things about you were wrong, were innately wrong, were innately a disappointment an to God, to God yeah. an offense to God. And so that affects the story that you tell yourself about yourself, it makes it difficult for you to just run a program of self-worth. And uh, uh, it makes it... So like when something bad happens to someone with self-worth, you know, so if something bad happens to me, I doesn't... I don't think it's karma. I don't think... Uh, there's a conspiracy against me. I don't think I deserve it. Like that doesn't resonate. When people treat me like shit, it doesn't, it almost doesn't happen because I, I reject it immediately 
because it doesn't resonate. If you don't like, if you think you're going to treat me like shit, it's not going to work because that doesn't resonate. I don't believe I deserve to be treated like that. So I don't let people treat me like shit. Like I don't get into relationships with dudes who treat me like shit since I was very young. Just it just I don't even attract to them because it doesn't resonate. Tom that's Cassidy not... stuff doesn't happen to you anymore. Yeah, because he caught me on an off day. Like even back then, uh, if if I wasn't so completely I just vulnerable, to say his name one more time. yeah, I know. I was just I was sitting here thinking like, am I going to take that out? And I'm like, no, this is great. Uh, Tom Cassidy, feel free to send me a message and say you don't remember it and sorry. And when you go to send me a message, you'll see that I sent you a message that night on Facebook that you never looked at. <laughs> Uh, get <laughs> fucked um but yeah exactly that like that did that wouldn't he caught me on an off night because i was very vulnerable but um i just the the thing about soaking a child in shame the thing about uh in hypnosis the two things that you have to program deprogram from people are one to, to clean their plate uh, because it's a dangerous programming that you get as a child that is you should not clean your plate you should not eat past satiation say she anyway being full um the other thing is that people believe they are neatly bad and that is from the use of the word bad in child rearing you should never tell your kid they're being being bad bad today it's a full Uh, judgment you're a bad boy you're a bad boy. boy that's the big one so when you're talking to them about their behavior you have to be specific to the behavior and not make full sweeping character judgments because they are under the age of seven being programmed and their their perception of who they are as a person is being programmed right then and all that shit that we watched did we talk about this on a different episode about christianity and how this this constant pumping message that you are not worthy of god's love you are not that's going to be next week's episode that's in the transformed wife Um, episode we get there i had some realizations about uh how much religion damaged my self-esteem in ways i didn't realize because the the story and stories are incredibly important in religion. It's all about, you know, telling. and the story we tell is that uh, we are worthless creatures uh, in need of saving who don't deserve to be saved. And that's what Even makes Jesus. Even on your best day. Yep. That's what makes Jesus so great is that uh, he's number one, perfect. Number two, loves us, even though we do not deserve his love. That is, uh, th- that's a common thread in, in Christian religions. I don't know about other ones, but in Christian religions, you know, we talk a lot about, uh, there's lots of verses, lots of scriptures about our worth. And, uh, while there are things like the worth of souls is great in the sight of the Lord and stuff like that, that's a Mormon verse. Um, there's, uh, a lot of stuff too about how damned we are. Yeah. And our natural, our natural man is an enemy to God. And stuff like that, you know? Yeah. That definitely affects your self-esteem. It's exactly. going to affect uh, everything in your life. Hmm. Uh, I think that was a good episode. It was. Yeah. Oh, man. All right, guys. Before we uh, leave, just real fast, tell you once again where we're going to be coming up. We've got tickets available for sale on our uh, website right now and you can see on our Facebook uh, the different events you can get tickets there uh, but yeah that's, you can find our calendar on Facebook or on our website but just know that on uh, Saturday August 25th we're going to be in Parkville Maryland Sully's Comedy Center August 26th Philadelphia Comedy Sports Theater uh, August 31st uh, New York New York hit us up Tom Cassidy uh, <laughs> You can we're, apologize in person. Uh, we're going to be at the do. Is he like a big deal still? Is he still? A, he never was a big deal. It was an open mic. He was it. a big deal at the open mic. But he's like still out there I'm doing sure comedy somewhere. I'm sure he's fine. Somewhere. Look, I'm <laughs> open to the idea that it was uh, uh, an off night and he was too head social. I don't know. I, I've tried. I don't like to hold grudges. And this is like the one grudge that I have. I love holding grudges. Um, I love it. And but I would totally accept an apology. I would I would bet you anything he does not remember the interaction. Anyway, then uh, September we're gonna go to the West Coast, coast to coast. Uh, September seventh we're in Portland at the Siren Theater. You can get those tickets on our website right now. 
uh, September 8th, we're in McMinnville, Oregon. We go from there to Spokane, Washington on the 9th. Those Pullman, Washington on the 10th. I'm so excited to go back to Pullman. That was the place that they you treated were like me. like high they, off of they that They treated show. me like I was Dave Chappelle in Pullman, Washington. I love those kind of places. They 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 all were like, come back to our, our dorm rooms and do cocaine with us. <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Etsy Bravo in, in Pullman, it's going to be, it's going to be fantastic. Uh, Riddler's is the bar in Spokane and those tickets are on our website. And then, uh, yeah, September 11th. Uh, I don't know. We might actually do a show on September 11th. We just don't have the details yet. Somewhere Pacific Northwest. Somewhere around there. Uh, I'm not flying to New York. Well, where is the? Yeah, pl- well, you're gonna fly to New York on September 11th. That's don't ever. Book that That's <laughs> well, a bad... isn't that where the Pentagon is? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <sighs> oh, could we do a whole episode on how I? A whole episode on how many things I don't understand about the world I live in. But hold on, I know it's in DC. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's where the CIA. No. No. <laughs> Maybe uh, CIA is Langley, Virginia. Langley, Virginia. CIA is yep. Langley, Virginia. I, mean, I only know that from watching Homeland. <laughs> oh, are they going to say Mission Impossible? Uh, uh, about sixty seconds, you're going to have a bunch of Virginia farm boys hopping around here like jackrabbits. I know so many lines from that movie. You do. I do. Anyway, guys. Uh, uh, join me on Reddit if you want to talk more about Mission Impossible franchise. Uh, join films. Mormon in the Meth Head on Reddit and uh-huh. come to our Facebook group uh-huh. and uh, follow us on Instagram, please. And tune in next week on Mormon in the Meth Head. Bye. If you put a Mormon and a meth head together, this is what they sound like. Aaron would all just a radar. Listen to them talking to Mike. It's a good show.